welcome to Legal Light, where we discuss everything e-discovery. Legal Light is brought to you by Altlaw e-discovery, the UK's leading independent e-discovery service provider, and your host, Matt Altes, CEO and founder of Altlaw e-discovery. Hello again, welcome to another episode of Legal Light, and I'm joined this week by Steve Coolin from Relativity. So welcome, Steve. Thanks so much for coming along. I'm delighted to be here. Now, you know that we had your new CEO here a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. What a great warm-up act for you. The main event. Yeah, it's like uh, being a support act following the Beatles. It's a tough gig. He's a um, great guy, though, Mike. Great He's guy. A phenomenal professional. Yeah. If you haven't seen that interview, get along and see it. It's a really fascinating interview. In fact, Mike's a really fascinating guy. Um, so with Mike coming on board yep. as the new CEO, what other changes are happening with Relativity now? Yeah, so obviously um, we're just back from Relativity Fest, our, uh, our main user conference in, uh, in Chicago, which happens each year. I'm going to talk more about that later. Um, but in terms of some of the key changes, obviously Mike's just got through his first 100 days. And uh, he spoke about this to an extent when he came in to, uh, to speak with yourself, but kind of he's gone through this approach of first 100 days shadowing Andrew. Second hundred days then starting then to bring kind of some of that thinking to the table. Andrew's going to take a well-deserved kind of a holiday for a short period of time. So some of the areas that we're focusing on. So you'll have noticed in Relativity Fest uh, in the keynote, things like Relativity Fellows. So Mike is, a, uh, is most definitely a people first CEO. So we're seeing some of that come to the fore. What about you? You're now Vice President of Sales for Europe, Middle East and Africa and Managing Director of the UK. Yep. What's the week look like for you? It's a mixture of me for like 50% customer facing, 50% internal. Uh, the internal part of it, the managing director role, increasingly now is placing a focus on our inclusion and diversity efforts, recruitment, talent, nurturing and development. That's it with the key parts. And uh, the EMEA um, part, the, you were instrumental in setting up those offices. So a lot of travel for you? Yeah, yeah, t typically about 50% travel as well. So again, I'll try and schedule, ideally if I'm not away from home, kind of any, any more than 25%. I've got a family the same as yourself. So, yeah. you know, definitely- Not quite uh, as big as mine. Not quite as big as yours, no. But certainly it's like, like f first commitments go to family. So yeah, a lot of travel. Um, up until January this year, I managed kind of all of Asia Pacific as well. So that was uh, the longer journeys, the 24 hour ones to Australia and yeah. numerous parts of Asia. Now focusing solely on EMEA, it's still probably the same volume of travel, but slightly less air miles. So and, where uh, are those offices? So the only office that we have um, from a customer facing perspective in EMEA is in London. That's our hub. Right. We have a second location in Krakow now, which right. opened about... Hearing two, a lot about that one. Yeah, oh. op opened about two years ago. And we really opened Krakow at first with a focus on engineering talent and growing that out. Then. Over time, it started to build more kind of operational functions as well. So we have like talent and recruitment there now, and we'll build that out over time. There's about 120 people in Krakow at the moment in an office that we think will scale to around about 200, 250 over the wow. coming years. So with that wide view of e-discovery, what do you see as the biggest challenges facing e-discovery, particularly in the UK in the coming years? Yes, yeah, so I'd say from a UK perspective, um, the advent of cloud computing presents lots of opportunity, but it also is a change. It's a new kind of S-curve of change that we're all adapting to and kind of um, like changing our business structures towards that. 
So I think just kind of bedding that down and finding all of our places within that cloud computing construct, I think is a big change. You know, the industry has been used to a very certain way of doing things, certainly from the electronic age post turn of the century when we kind of switched over into kind of email as the main discoverable data. It's predominantly being an on-premise server-based business. Mm -hmm. So cloud computing and all of our places and roles within it is certainly one of those. I would say secondly, the kind of the complexity and scale of what you're doing. So your data volumes inevitably will have gone up to a huge degree, like the highest percentage growth in most businesses if the data kind of volumes working through. So scaling a team and a technology to be able to deal with those volumes of data and then kind of enact on behalf of your customers to kind of deliver what they're looking for from that data is a key and evolving challenge all of the time. And I think there's no forecast for the volumes of data to shrink. It's, uh, if anything, we seem like we're it's just at the, it is. Yeah. It is, so that, you know, that places challenges on all of us for us as a software company to continue to evolve out relativity and relativity one. So it scales to meet those needs. It has the performance and the throughput, but also in an intuitive way that is easier for users to adopt and understand. With the ever-increasing data sizes that is going on, and, and also the data types, I mean, particularly with the rise mm. and rise of texting, messaging apps, um, particularly those that are encrypted in e encrypted end to end, yeah, which are now becoming um, uh, needed in, in discovery. Um, how is how is the software adapting and evolving to to cope with those issues? So I think there's there's a couple of different avenues with that. There's the software being performant enough to deal with the scale and complexity. There's then how connected it is to those different data sources. So I don't know if you've done an audit of how many technologies you have running across your business. No. Um, we have, and it's a lot. You know, it's, yeah. um, it's a lot of communication types. There's then all of the applications that we build and develop relativity in and around. Um, if I think about our own business, we've gone through a very rapid evolution of kind of communication types in recent years from being predominantly email to then having Skype for business as a mm -hmm. communication tool and then Slack. And then within our business, there's different types of persona that have adopted Slack at a different pace. So our engineering team have pretty much, it's, it's, the, it's the bulk of what they do day to day. Well, we, we use Slack and for the immediacy of it, it's become a preferable method of communication than email now. So, and, and we've heard of, uh, particularly some of the tech startups that have never used email yeah. within their business. They're yeah. using um, applications like Slack to do all of that for them. Most definitely. So, you know, as a, as, a, as a business owner, the communication and efficiency of that communication is one thing. If we bring it back to the scope of discovery, being able to plug into those different applications and extract the data from it to do all of the things we've been doing for some time, um, becomes key because the extensibility of that data kind of map from your customers who you're working on behalf is a key part of the projects that you'll get in. So again, being able to collect it, being able to process it, being able to view it in a, in a kind of a, a review and analytics platform that looks and feels like the native application uh, is key. It's, uh, it's the, the disparate system review process and then trying to kind of Frankenstein's monster at the end, uh, I think, is a construct of the past, as it would, I'm sure we, you'd agree. Which 
brings me on nicely to my next question, which is um, yeah, regarding the, the, the data sizes ever increasing. Of course, the need for speed is ever increasing as well. Yeah. And particularly when getting that data up into the cloud-based R1, yeah. um, and then getting it back down, so to speak, to, to be viewed quickly. Um, how are we coping with that? Yeah, so I, I, again, for us, um, when we started on our cloud journey, it was certainly a frequently asked question. So, okay, I understand the concept of cloud-based storage and cloud-based applications, but how do I get these large volumes of data through a pipe that's gonna be fast enough to deal with our turnaround times or kind of regulatory responses? Um, so so we, we, we have a, um, an application, or there's numerous applications, but the main one is like a high-speed Aspera product, which deals with high-speed high speed transfer of files. Um, and we've seen really great results through it. Um, we've had customers of ours in, uh, in the US and indeed across EMEA who have white papers and case studies telling tales of kind of doing a terabyte in a weekend and having it up and ready to review by the Monday. Oh, so it is, it is. So it, it's not only the ingestion of the data, it's then obviously once it's there as well, then being able to process at the rate that you need to meet your customers' demand. So yeah, it was certainly a challenge, but it's one that I feel we've met. It's, uh, it's common good feedback that we get from our, certainly the new Relativity One customer base. So that's the data going up. What about mm. it coming back down to be viewed? How are we, how are we coping with those large? Data sizes. Yeah, so um, so kind of the, the, the plumbings of relativity is um, is probably a better role for our CTO to kind of talk you through. But just on, on like a basic level, the various different applications that we have running there to show you that document in the speed that you'd want to view that document. So the old construct used to be flipping through pages of paper yeah. and acting at the same time that you could interact with a book or a piece of like A4 or letter size. The new construct tends to be the same as doing a Google search, right? You want that kind of pace and yeah. speed. So for us, again, there's, there's lots of different um, engineering might that goes into the back end of kind of the product and indeed the front facing parts. Um, our chief product officer, Chris Brown, has done a ton of work since joining a year ago. The size of his team has tripled. One of the key things that they've constantly been focusing on is saying, okay, how do we make relativity just go a little bit faster and then a lot faster. And that broken down by all of the individual activities that you and your team would interact with relativity on. So again, kind of a, a, a spoiler alert coming up for kind of the relativity first section that I know we're gonna talk about today, hopefully. Um, but they have a, a really exciting announcement which was announced last week at Relativity Fest that we will bring to the market in 2020 that I can share more about. Would you like that now? Yeah, yep. go on then. Okay, so uh, we've released a, a user interface called Error, and uh, it's kind of the brainchild of our engineering team and our, our product team, but also from kind of feedback from customers. So you want to look and feel when you're clicking through a document, again, like that Google-based interaction. Other search engines are available. So um, what they've done is they've kind of worked with the engineering team, worked with the user interface kind of team for a new aesthetic which is more simplified, but then the speed of that aesthetic and some changes on the engineering front, effectively are rendering the document as soon as you make that choice. So before you might have had a millisecond of waiting time, if you launched a, a large document, it required time to kind of render the entire document before it came available right. in the viewer. Um, I've sat through some early kind of like, like sessions of this one and it's rapid, it's rapid to see 
the excitement and hear the excitement in like Andrew Sager who wrote the software, you know, from, from, uh, from the outset to see that level of excitement about the speed that it's generating from a technical ability as well uh, is really exciting. So, you know, if we can just make relativity faster, it leads to more efficiency gains. Um, and I know you have a managed review business. So, yeah, I mean, that's key for us. Yeah, so, you know, your customers will be holding you to accountability of clicks and speeds and time and hours and rates. Yeah, it's all about how many documents you can do in a day. Totally. And, you know, that can increase, it's only good. Yeah, so if we, can, uh, if we can reduce the amount of time that reviewer is sat there watching a spinning blue dial, yeah. um, it's only beneficial to all involved. So, so you just back from Relativity Fest. Yeah. How was it? Amazing. Amazing. It was my, uh, it was my 10th. It was my, uh, it was my ninth as a relative. And I attended the first one uh, from when I was uh, back, back with a provider before joining relativity. It was our biggest yet. I had uh, just over 2000 attendees. Um, excitingly, and as being kind of like one of the international representatives, we had just shy of 300 international attendees from 30 countries. So 31 countries in total attending fest outside of kind of uh, obviously the US being one and a big one. So just to, to see those individual customers and prospects kind of walking the floors over a three day period, being absorbed in the session, seeing the buzz and excitement, uh, hearing conversations going up and down in the elevators of, you know, like, oh, did you see this? Did you see that? I love this, I'm not so sure about that. So, you know, all really good feedback for us. Uh, it, it was just a really, really good show. I think our events team do a, an astonishingly good job of staging it so it seems seamless and effortless, but it's a year-round effort. Uh, and then all culminating in those three days in Chicago. And then a plug as well, kind of um, Relativity Fest EMEA, which happens in London. Uh, typically April, May each year. Um, we'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks with a hold to date, which is going to be in May. But um, that continues to grow as well. But yeah, Fest last week was, was so exciting. It was amazing. Good. The, um, I was watching the, the keynote speech. Mm. And, uh, keynote speech. And um, when Mike came on and he talked about something, I, I absolutely love the idea. Mm. Relativity Fellows. Tell us about that. Yeah, again, a lot, a lot of buzz and excitement and like re really great feedback from it. So we've had Relativity Gives for a long time. Um, and Relativity Gives was our efforts to, um, to try and give more back to the community. And by that was the Chicago community that we focused on where our headquarters is. So we've been investing in technology in schools and a couple of other kind of um, causes locally for a number of years. This really was just like the next evolution of part of that Relativity Gives message as well. So we've had an intern program for a number of years now that's generated a ton of talent coming into the business. The fellows program is aimed at kind of focusing on those that don't have opportunities mm -hmm. for advanced levels of education or typically with that don't have first employment opportunities. Chicago is a really competitive employment market. A lot of really high quality technology companies there and a lot of kind of demand for talent. So the aim of fellows really is just to try and provide opportunities to underprivileged, minoritized communities, bring them into relativity as a training academy, and then find ways then to feed the broader community with those fellows. What are some of the, the biggest benefits of going cloud-based with Relativity One? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say I'd say four main areas. So one, if you think about just the data flow that feeds the e-discovery channels, you know, so it might be you're a service provider that's working on behalf of a law firm that's working on behalf of a corporate or a government agency typically. If you look at the volume and adoption rates of Office 365 within those organizations, the services that they're putting into the clouds themselves, the benefits of just being more connected to that cloud to cloud based story um, is certainly a big one of those, you know, kind of extracting from cloud into, into a silo, into on-prem and then having to serve things back um, cloud to cloud, just in terms of efficiency and just being in the same mindset as ultimately the end custodian of the data, again, typically the corporate or the government business. That's one. Secondly, the scalability. So for us and like a mantra that we've used is like saying yes to more. So traditionally, if you had a large spike of a project that come in, you'd have to build more servers out. Right. You'd need more storage. You'd be on the phone to your uh, co-location or your third party kind of server providers or your own IT team saying, look, you know, we've got to buy, buy more to build it in. Like cloud computing offers that scalability almost automatically. So again, kind of that option to like say yes to more on behalf of your customers, say yes to more projects, more complexity. I'd then add kind of the security aspects. So for us, um, we've built and we've put a really large part of our kind of like nine, nine, nine digit R&D budget has gone into our security posture. And that's not just technology. It's not just saying ISO, it's the people, it's the quality and level and expertise of the people. So our, um, our chief information security officer, Amanda Fennell, um, who spoke at first, has, has done an amazing, amazing job to build that group out from just really, really talented backgrounds. Uh, the world of cybersecurity and, you know, it's, it's way, way above my pay grade, but the world in which they operate and the world in which they protect against is, um, is just fascinating. And just the level of team that she's built is, uh, is immense. And that coupled with then the security that we have within the, the software itself. So, you know, you've got the backing of our security team, Microsoft Azure's security team. So again, just resting more comfortably that data's in good hands. You know, not having to build out mirrored disaster recovery environments, not having to go to the level of kind of monitoring and surveillance that we're doing for those doesn't customers. Doesn't stop them trying to sell you that, does it? No, no, I'm sure, I'm sure it doesn't. I'm sure it doesn't. So, and, and then I'd just say kind of the, the breadth of applications that are now coming in to cloud-based. So um, again, at, at FEST, and we've, we've kind of, we soft launched this prior to it, uh, but our new Collect product, Collecting Direct from Office 365, again, just kind of like. Yeah, I saw that demonstrate, that looks so easy. It's yeah. Ticking boxes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're an Office 365 yeah. business yourself. If you wanted to understand the data and the richness in your data, or you had a discovery project you needed to run yourself, just having that peer-to-peer -peer connection. So much easier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really so, they, they, they'd be the key things. I, I feel like I've dragged so much out of you already, but have you left anything back for me? Can you talk me through the roadmap for 2020? Yeah, so, um, so I, I touched on, an, uh, on it earlier, but kind of the new Aero user interface. Um, for us, 
like the volume of users we have month to month. When you get feedback about your user interface or you, you know you want to make improvements, it's not something that we can go version to version and hundreds of thousands of users wake up the next morning and everything's moved around, right? They don't know how to kind of where the buttons are for what yeah. they were doing the day before. So it tends to be kind of like evolution versus revolution. And the evolution of the work, like the user interface with the Aero product, um, there's just a lot of really great natural aesthetics that when you're clicking through, it feels and looks more modern. The thumbnails it presents on the right-hand side, now what kind of the ability to switch those, the simplified user interface. So again, you hear Mike talk about this in the keynote, this concept of kind of default simple, optionally advanced, so kind of bringing it out the box in a simple format that allows fewer clicks to get to the results, but then also the system being performant enough to keep up with the most savvy of searches and users. So as you're building your search out, it's building and it's rendering. As it's loading a document, the render speeds are just, uh, are just amazing to see. So that's, that, that's one. I'd say others are really just kind of continuing to build out this end-to-end -end discovery story. So for us, again, Office 365 Collect further completes part of that mission and vision. Third thing is like adjacent kind of technologies that we're building out. So you may have heard of a product called Relativity Trace. We yeah, Mike tomorrow. mentioned it when he was here. So again, re 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 really exciting. It's, uh, it's not a massive kind of diversion from discovery. It's very firmly in the proactive monitoring and surveillance compliance space, which is typically a key and attached area to legal e-discovery mm -hmm. risk. So for us, the Trace product, again, continues to build strength. Um, the volume of customers we have actively interested and indeed kind of on board and the investment we're putting into both the technology and the team for that product uh, is really exciting to see. I think you'll, you'll see a lot of announcements about that coming soon. Steve, it's been great of you to come in. And we've Thank you. A lot today. Um, now you've been waiting for this bit because <laughs> we get to our spot here where we say, did you know? Okay, so did, did you know something about me? All right, that you may not know. You know quite a lot already, I man. So, uh, so, yeah. More than so, I can share. Yeah. <laughs> People may or may not know about me, and certainly the volume of clicks and hits on Spotify would validate the fact that very people do not know this. But uh, I, I play guitar in a band, so we, uh, I started off in an acoustic duo about eight years ago. Uh, we're on Spotify. The band's called Vintage Black. Uh, it's Wishlist EP if you want to search for it from there. And then l lately we've, um, we've morphed into more of a four-piece kind of rock band. Uh, the stuff on Spotify is all kind of originals from the two-piece acoustic duo. What's things. it called? I'm going to look for this. Vintage Black. Vintage Black. And it's called the Wishlist EP. Check it out. Wonderful. Okay. Do you know, I wish we had a guitar here because I would <laughs> definitely have got him to do something. Strum along I'm that. glad I didn't tell you beforehand <laughs> solely for that reason. Well, we didn't know that. Steve, it's been wonderful talking to you. You too. Thanks yeah. so much for yeah. coming in. Thanks for having us Cheers. in. Thank you. Legal Light was brought to you by Altlaw eDiscovery, the UK's leading independent eDiscovery service provider. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to like, comment and share and please leave us a review. For more information on our products and services, visit www.altlaw.co.uk. That's www.altlaw.co.uk.